0: welcome back intimates thanks for your support on patreon making this 2021 season possible this podcast is about all things intimate relationships love connection community consensual non-monogamy kink orgies lovers and of course good old-fashioned sex I talk with old friends and even meet some new ones. I interview people from all walks of life, from recovered addicts to counselors, sex partners to perfect strangers. I'd like to thank my host, the Musqueam First Nation, as this podcast is recorded on their unceded ancestral territory, where I was born, where I work, and where I currently live and play. So settle in for an intimate conversation. Emotional labor and emotional blindness are two important topics when discussing how men find themselves after lifetimes of being subjected to toxic masculinity. Whether we owe our fathers, mothers, societies, or peers isn't really the point. Given how high suicide rates are among men, the need for more of a nurturance culture for men and breaking the silence around mental illness is incredibly large. Today, I chat with my cishet friend, William who discusses emotional labor and how gendered it is in heterosexual relationships. We talk about learning to feel shame and perceiving defensiveness in ourselves, as well as cultivating a language of emotions so we can begin to talk about it. We talk about gratitude and the debt we owe the women who have done enormous amounts of emotional labor for us in our lives, be they mothers or partners. Content warning for parental abuse, especially fearing a parent, and people socialized as women putting up with people socialized as men as we slowly learn basic lessons we probably should have learned decades ago if you've ever dated a person socialized as a man and maybe you felt like you were more of a parent than an equal well i can't apologize for anyone other than myself but to the folks i dated from 17 through i don't know maybe 34 possibly still (laughs) i deeply apologize and say i will do better thank you so much Welcome to another session of Intimate Attractions. It's good to have you here, William.
1: It's good to be here. Thank you.
0: So, do you want to start us off talking about Chosen Family?
1: Like, I can take for granted that in this process, actually, I've connected my family, like my biological family immensely, Mm -hmm. Uh, my siblings and my parents alike, Um, my extended family as well. Um, Yeah, I've been very blessed that I can reach out. Talk to them when I'm in a desperate situation, and I think a lot about how, like, I've I've known people who've been estranged from their family, and I just can't help, I just can't help but wonder, like, when you don't have people who feel like they're sort of born into having to put up with conversations with you. Um, <laughs> sure, it it is, it is, it is hard, but I've, I've found at least i've found at least that relationships that i didn't even think possible i've i've learned to make myself more vulnerable with people about the struggles that i've been going through emotionally and if anything i found that people i didn't expect have actually been very grateful for the opportunity to actually have some shared intimacy and some actual emotional content in what we've talked about. So I have people that I've known for years where it's just, oh, you know, how's the work life? How's this? How's that? What's your plan for the future? And nothing in particular. And since the accident, I will meet with these people and say, my life is meaningless. My wife has left me. I'm an addict. I have all these problems.
0: But there's honesty there. Like, there's I, facing reality there's, there in some respects.
1: It's, it's taught me so much about my own fear of being a vulnerable. And it's taught me so much about my own fear of, you know, reaching out. I, I always fear being a broken record about these things. But it almost seems like a few of the people that I've spoken to have been kind of waiting for somebody to say it. As far as people have been talking about their own families and their own dysfunction and, mm-hmm. like some of the people in my life that I think of as like the most well-off and fortunate and high functioning talking about like, you know, one of them, their dad's like a crazy hoarder who like can't possibly like threatens to disown them if they don't have children soon. And it's like, you know, yeah. And it's like, these are people that I just thought came from a boring, super stable existence. And, um, I've I've definitely I've definitely appreciated in my life that everyone that I consider a friend that I've opened up to about my experiences, my fear, my depression, my my struggles mm-hmm. with with you know this sort of point of inflection in my life, everyone that I've spoken to has been very supportive and frankly a bit curious themselves. Mm. Like I'll talk about how my life feels a bit empty and devoid of meaning and either they have some helpful advice or they're wondering the same damn thing. (laughs) So I think if there, if there's something that, you know, I would want people to consider is you'd, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised if you're having these like difficult thoughts and these feelings of doubts and you're, feelings of doubt and you're feeling socially isolated you'd be amazed how much just saying that to somebody else can lead the way into like a profound sense of connection and it can really give you a lot of that feeling of belonging that you know COVID-19 has obviously robbed us all of as well Mm -hmm. um I've even I've I've been interacting with a lot of um through my work I actually have very good health coverage. So through my counselor and an online counseling service that I interact with one of the exercises that they gave me and said, you know, if you're struggling with social isolation, have you tried just reaching out to people? <laughs> and you know Yeah.
0: Sounds so obvious. You see,
1: you see it, yeah, you see it spelled out and you're like, idiot. It's like <laughs> but it, in all fairness, I actually could call somebody. So I've I've been making calls across to the uk i've been calling all across north america i've been calling people uh, actually a friend of mine just sort of name drop but a friend of mine even works in the middle east that i've been like doing regular phone calls Mm -hmm. with and it's like it's astounding that like i feel like every person that i've reached out to probably feels the same way i do they feel isolated and they want more people to reach out to them Mm -hmm. it's like when you go to someone's house and they offer you a cup of tea and you say, oh, no, 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 I don't want to bother you right? by having you make me a cup of tea. But the fact of the matter is they want to make you tea, just bloody accept the tea. And it's the same thing with reaching out to people in your life that you care about. Chances are they would love to hear from you. And they're, they're just as afraid as you are to reach out themselves.
0: And just because, and I'm I've, sorry, I just wanted to mention, just because tea is an analogy for consent, <laughs> we should probably put the asterisk here. If you really don't want to drink the yeah, tea, if, it's okay not to drink the tea. But sometimes there's value in having someone make the tea. I hear what you're saying.
1: And if you're in someone's house and you offer them tea, <laughs> proceed with God. Um, <laughs> I did not know that that was a euphemism for consent.
0: There's there's a whole like, uh, don't (laughs) make someone drink the tea um, um, meme. So like when you were like, just drink the damn tea, I'm like, oh, this is going to (laughs) scan. Like this is going to scan very differently (laughs) to some people, but sorry, go on.
1: I'm very quickly cycling through. Have I had any interactions in the past where someone was shocked when I wouldn't accept tea? (laughs) Um, Just quickly kind of, cycling through that memory um but yeah definitely like um if someone's trying to be a good host you'd be amazed how much it means to them that you can just try and be a good guest for once and just showing that little bit of courtesy it's astounding it's opened up it's opened up relationships in my life that i thought were pretty pretty flat, pretty shallow relationships or relationships that I hadn't connected with in decades, literally decades in some cases. And these people have just been so glad to hear from me and I've been so glad to hear from them and sharing. I'm not as alone in the angst and depression that I've been feeling since my accident, my feelings of meaninglessness. Like a lot of other people are struggling with these things as well, coming up with solutions that they can. So you know it's been it's been great to me that a lot of people i did not expect i can reach out to them they've been amazing i've been very lucky
0: i'm really happy to hear that so i've i've been finding somewhat similar things too i've been reaching out to people i haven't spoke to spoken to in a really long time and it's been really positive like you for example i reached out to you and i remember having the thought too i made a list because like i'm i mean like i've been meaning to sort of reach out and say like hey how are things going since the accident but also um when you were first recovering um you know there was a message that sort of went out from your significant other that was like yes like we're we're both eager to hear from you and also like please don't just bombard us with messages of support um (laughs) we know you love us thank you um just let us have our time to kind of do the recovery first And so I sort of wanted to bide my time and like pick my moment to sort of be like, Hey, did you want to go for coffee or something? And, and I'm really glad that I did um, because we got to have these conversations. And so, yeah, that's been my experience as well. Well, Like reconnecting with folks I haven't spoken to in years has been really good, like fruitful.
1: Mm. Yeah. I, I really do think that um, COVID-19 and the pandemic has given a lot of people an opportunity to reassess priorities. And a big part of that is, like, meaning for most of us comes from our sense of connection, community, and belonging with other people. Mm-hmm. And I know it's it's like Mr. Rogers hokey. But the fact of the matter is, like, that is what drives most of us as far as giving us a sense of purpose, is the people that we relate to. Not that that's the only way that people can have meaning in their life but it is a huge facet
0: absolutely mm-hmm. so we talked a little bit about chosen family mm-hmm. i'm curious to talk a little bit about spousal stuff like what goes into having a successful Gosh. marriage and like lessons learned in sort of your post-mortem from just sort of freshly yeah. exiting a marriage with a lot of time to sort of think about that and sort of come to grips with what that means and like time spent alone and like our own responsibility to our own mental health, like that sort of cluster of topics. How do you feel speaking about that?
1: Of course. I do feel, I feel very comfortable with it. Um, this is all very like uh, in Vivio. So you're going to see a sort of live dissection of my thoughts. None of this has been put to bed very well. God. So I will, I will do my best to give you, I'll do my best to give you my understanding of what's happening and my interpretation of you know like you say what does make a good relationship so what what would you like to know i'll i'll let you cue this up or up. sure out.
0: i mean i guess it is a very expansive topic like it's not like marriages are like yes. five minutes and you're like oh cool i've got them figured out and i'm ready now um, exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. obviously like yeah. a lifetime worth of learning um, but yeah. I guess what I'm curious about is from the outside looking in as is so often the case the two of you looked really happy and I guess mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious for you what you would have done different if you'd been a different person all those years ago
1: Um, it's interesting there was a there was from the outside looking in very happy and I think that both of us had a really strong history of intellectualizing our emotions Mm -hmm. um it was something that I was very good at and it's something that I know that they were very good at as well Mm -hmm. and I know that for me like they I've heard this talked about I haven't done a lot of my own reading into it yet but um trauma bonding. Sure. Which is like t- two people meet for the first time and they talk about their fucked up families and then they do not leave each other's side for 10 years. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like you meet somebody who like, I, I do remember the feeling when I met my partner and she told me about her family and told about a legacy of mental illness. And she talked about, Parental neglects and all these things that were happening, and I thought, "Good, like I can introduce you to my family, and I don't have to explain as much. You know, right. you'll just you'll get it. Like I can say things in a much more shorthanded way. And then I knew that that could let that could make me more honest too. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is like, on the one hand, it's an easy handshake for the two of us to get to know each other." But I remember early in our relationship, I said, you know, there's this thing about fighting. Like, oh my, my parents used to go at it and fight like cats and dogs. And I and she, oh, I know too. Like, fighting's just not my thing. Fighting's just not my thing. But in the context of that, like, neither of us had any real appreciation for the fact that just because you avoid fighting doesn't mean you shouldn't have conflict. Mm-hmm. And Neither, neither of us had a healthy understanding for expressing our needs, taking up space in our relationship, feeling like we could assert our emotional needs, let alone identify our emotional needs to each other. And so it became this really unfortunate thing where on all things intellectual, at all things academic, and any time there was sort of a measurable outcome mm-hmm. We could absolutely, great partnership, great partnership. You know, we had deficiencies and strong suits on either side, but neither of us, neither of us was really able to break through the sort of permafrost around at least my emotions. I don't want to speak of course, for her of course. on that. That's, yeah, in fairness, because I know that I was emotionally inept enough that we could have been. Frankly, we could have been talking a lot about emotions and I just didn't know. Right. So, you know, you, we were really happy. Um, I did struggle with my depression throughout. Unfortunately, as I had times in my life where I would start to think of my future in a more and more concrete way
0: mm-hmm.
1: as like, our, oh, there's a lot of different ways narratives I can associate to this but my spouse and I were in survival survival mode for a very long time Mm -hmm. so when we met she was starting graduate school and I was exiting graduate school we were both massively in debt had no real financial support from either of our families available Um, not even that we didn't get any but if we asked for any you know, maybe help with rent once or twice would have been where that Mm -hmm. would have ended. So no real financial backing, living in financial, you know, financial difficulty all the time, not really having access to a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. And she was in grad school working incredibly Mm -hmm. hard. I began an apprenticeship in my field of work, which was very taxing, very difficult, gone for, you know, 70-hour weeks. And... So we really just put our heads down and tried to focus on, you know, get through the next crisis, get through the next crisis, get through the next crisis. And recently uh, she graduated, got a real paying job. I finished my apprenticeship. I got a real paying job. We got ourselves into the black. Uh, Financially, we started to talk about what our future Mm -hmm. would look like. And that's kind of when it snapped for her where – the emotional relationship that, that we had suddenly had this permanence about it like if we buy a home together because we were thinking about buying a you know we were getting ready to put a down payment on a condo and that's a very like it's
0: a long-term it's a very
1: temp- that's a very temporal long-term mm-hmm. commitment and that's when you know kind of the tone changed as far as like are we actually happy are we actually happy with what we're doing and what we're setting about to create? Mm-hmm. And we did, we worked on our communication and we worked on some other things, but I mean, my my underlying emotional uh, illiteracy or whatever else, uh, incompetence, there's a good word for you. Uh, my underlying emotional incompetence was such that I wasn't ready to deal with the struggles and unhappiness in our relationship. I'd withdrawn more and more over the uh, you know those years and then once covid hit couldn't even socialize we couldn't even see friends we didn't really know right. what to do like all that social and
0: lubricant that I, had sort of been there in the relationship where you had all these like easy release yeah. valves where you could go out have a beer with some friends and just kind of like blow off a little steam and feel a little What's, more okay like that wasn't there and all of a sudden you're in this exactly. pressure cooker of you know this echo chamber of all the things yeah. that could be better in your marriage like that's that's stressful.
1: Exactly. I had this asinine moment of us watching Bonnie Henry saying, "Okay, your job is to stay at home and don't interact with anyone. And I stood up and saluted her and went and played video games for the next five months. Like, you know, well, because it's like, you know, I I, I just took that as a social license to just disappear into video games until work until work came back. And I look at it now, and it's I should have read books. I should have started writing. I've I've been I've been coddling some ideas of my own, some precious ideas about things that I'd like to write myself, mm-hmm. uh, painting and other creative outlets. And I wish I'd done nothing, literally nothing, rather than play video games. Then you because could have thought, at least in the in that mental state of boredom there would have been a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, it would have only lasted a day or two. Um, So that was definitely a catalyst. You know, it's hard to extract what exactly is the cause versus what is the sort of spark or what is the fuel or what is the dysfunction. I'm hardly an expert, Mm -hmm. but our relationship had had distancing in intimacy and distancing in emotional connection for a long time leading up to that moment of crisis where realizing that financially we could you know we could solidify our relationship even deeper to the city we lived in and the relationship that we had Um, it was a moment of crisis for her and she she didn't know exactly what she wants but she knew she didn't want what we had. That's fair. So, yeah, I'm glad she did it, honestly. She asked me after the accident, she said, would you have told me the next day if you hadn't gotten into the accident, knowing we're separating, would you have told me what happened? And I said, honestly, no. I probably would have told you I was a bit tipsy, but I was fine to bike home. And I would have probably downplayed anything else that happened. And I probably wouldn't have changed what I was doing with my life. Wow. Knowing that we were, sep- knowing that we were separating. I, I don't know what would have happened and things obviously would have sure. been different, but I had to be, I had to be honest with her that I don't know if it was the separation or the accident that caused me to reevaluate my life, but I can't, I can't extract sure. one from the other sure. at this point. So the accident happened in a context. And um, so I had to tell her honestly that I don't know if I would have been honest with her about the accident. And I don't know if I would have been ready to make the changes in my behavior that I needed to, to start turn, turning around my my seeking false comfort in video mm-hmm. games and my inability to confront the fact that I'm struggling with depression. And it would have just been a quiet, quiet desperation. I think is the right word. Ooh,
0: That reminds me of Pink Floyd.
1: What where's quiet desperation Uh, from, um,
0: from the song time from dark side of the moon album. Uh, It's when they say hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way.
1: Yes, exactly. I think about the line often no one told you when to run. You've missed the starting gun. Yeah, same gun. song. I, th- I think about that line all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> that that line really encapsulated a lot of the angsts that I had when I was depressed. It was feeling like you're never really told when life begins. You spend so much time passive and just getting told to shut up throughout school. Sit there and shut up. Right. Know, be quiet. Do this. Do that. But you don't realize that you know life started years before that and it's up to you to take control and wrest it back from those institutions anyway that's my (laughs) radical my radical
0: so now that you now that you know there was a starting gun um i also just wanted to make the quick observation that you know your relationship wasn't in obvious crisis while the two of you were like in crisis or struggling individually but then ironically the second that you both had enough as it were the second that you both had time again and you could reevaluate and you were like okay like we've survived all of this incredible struggle but do we even want to be together like that's it's it's really um poignant i guess like emotionally pointed to be like great well we you know we were here for each other through all this struggle But now that we actually have something that we could maybe enjoy together, we've realized that we don't want to. (laughs) That's that's really hard. I think.
1: I, I think a lot of it was we just we had a unquestionable goal that we had to get ourselves into careers and kill off our debt. It was the external enemy. You know, there's no there's no greater bond than uniting over a common enemy. And both of us, it was we we had the common enemy of a difficult background and economic circumstances and we surmounted that but somewhere along the way there was a lot of neglect to having something to fight for right in in having a reason to
0: live rather than just a reason to win
1: exactly exactly and um i'm for what it's worth uh we've separated but it's Right now, it is a bit open-ended. We are we're taking time. We both have a lot of our own personal mental health issues and our own emotional needs to be met. We're going to try and do that in isolation, and we'll see where the we'll see where the uh, mm-hmm. chips land in the future. It's it's a bit open-ended right now, for what it's mm-hmm. worth. And that's so it's it is one of those things where. You know, there wasn't conflict. There wasn't anything... There wasn't anything so wrong that we, you know...
0: Had had to end it. Had to throw everything right. out. Yeah,
1: it's not like we, we had to throw everything out wholesale. It's just like a lack of just,
0: reason you know, to be was... together still, almost. Yeah, yeah. How are you holding up?
1: It's... Good days, bad days. Absolutely. Some of the best advice that I've received, and this came from one of the um, sobriety, uh, I, I, one of the sobriety communities that I'm a member of, is just one day at a time. Mm -hmm. And it's so Mm -hmm. cliche and it's so pedantic, but it's so bloody true. When you feel like you're in, at least for me, when I would hit moments of real crisis where I really didn't think. I knew what to do when I would start to panic. I would just remind myself, I just have to last long enough to go to sleep. You know, yeah. that's all I have to do. And then we'll see tomorrow. And, you know, sometimes I'd re roll and tomorrow would be a bad day too. But there was a pretty good chance that I would wake up and it'd be a bit better. Like go from a, I even wrote in my journal one day where I said, I woke up yesterday was a 10, but at least today's a six.
0: Right. It, you could, know? it could be a two. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs>
1: Yeah, so it really – I'm I'm doing better every day. I'm struggling a lot realizing – I'm realizing there was a, one thing that I wanted to mention that I was surprised about when I woke up in the hospital. And um, realizing how dependent I was on my partner was that anytime anything good would happen, I literally – any any good feeling within me because I would immediately want to turn to my wife to validate the feeling that, oh, that's good news. I can't wait to tell. And then, you know, my brain would catch itself and say, you know, that's that's not our future. That's not where we are now. We're mm-hmm. separated. And in my mind's eye, I could see just like a circuit diagram of like good thing input into me. And then... You know, it goes towards my wife and then there's just a broken circuit. And, like, I just felt like my world fall apart. (laughs) It was like I'd become so emotionally dependent on my spouse that when she wasn't in my life, I was incapable of feeling joy because I wanted to share Mm -hmm. it with her. And, like, that's a sweet sentiment, but it, it is also worth Sitting with that for a minute and thinking like, am I really that incapable of feeling my own joy? Like, do I really need somebody else to feel this for it to be meaningful to me? And I think we all have, we all sit on the spectrum or somewhere with that phenomenon that I realized.
0: Yeah, there's there's definitely a really important thing you're touching on, which is this idea of how it's normalized in society that, you know, men don't have access to emotions, but then they're dependent on their, you know, in heterosexual narratives on their, on their wives to do that emotional labor for them. Like all the work of feeling emotions and helping navigate emotions, process emotions, understand emotions, all of that work just gets arbitrarily sort of dumped on the, the, the woman or femme in the relationship. And it's kind of high time. We, uh, we started unpacking that. And like you said, learning to feel our own joy
1: absolutely i've i have come to a very similar understanding myself of realizing that i owe my wife a debt of gratitude for being my informal therapist for our entire relationship yeah i feel like that is it is one of the multiple burdens of care that falls disproportionately on gender lines the emotional Mm -hmm. labor this and it's it's different from emotional support Mm -hmm. It's different from emotional support because emotional support is turning to someone for comfort, but not saying, I have an emotion, you deal with
0: it. Right, right. (laughs) Like,
1: you know, it's your job to do the processing. It's your job to do the, you know, it's your job to make sense of this Mm -hmm. all. And, um, yeah, in the absence, upon realizing, you know, like I say, that broken circuit diagram of emotions, (laughs) that I had a... I had a I had a like floating. That's vision a good of, metaphor. You've um, got this
0: flow chart and as soon as you take, you know, wife out of the equation you're like, Wait, but what completes the circuit? You're like <laughs> I have to do all this work. Exactly. Now.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I and it was uncanny. Like I can't I can't make this crap up. Like I really did see it in my mind's eye as the sadness hit me. As the happiness just fell out the bottom of my heart. Like it was comical.
0: Um, Gosh, life's life's funny sometimes. Like you know, that to describe to describe that is. situation with with sadness falling out the bottom of your heart as comical. I'm like, God, life is just it's such a weird human experience we inhabit. Such a rich patchwork. <laughs> Homer Homer's uh, the, um, dismissal of the therapist. Yes, yes, it's all a rich tapestry.
1: Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Um, There was another thing that I wanted to say in response. It was about women doing emotional processing for men. Men expecting that to get done. Not being able to hold our own emotions inside. Um, I'm sorry, can you echo back to me what I was saying? Would you mind? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, You were talking about, about the broken flowchart the floating image that you had in the hospital um and how it was quite comical when when you sort of changed emotional states you like went through that transition and then you were like wow i've just been reliant on my wife this whole time yeah did that help at all
1: there was there was yeah there was a generalization that i've come to see more recently about like oh i'm sorry i th- I think that's i've okay. lost it there was like i had a bit of a eureka moment now i think it's gone
0: that is okay <laughs> that's the
1: way it happens
0: way she goes um <laughs> yeah. do you watch trailer park boys at all that's that's no. perfectly fine um i i think uh i think your former partner would be proud of you for that answer
1: Oh, okay <laughs> um but
0: no i was just not important it's clearly not important
1: no no worries um oh my goodness uh, i feel like hang on let me just quickly take a look talking,
0: at we talked about I emotional labor like around was... gender lines and you owing your wife a debt of gratitude and talking about what healthy yes. processing looked like and feeling your own sadness and feeling your own joy
1: Feeling your own sadness, feeling your own joy. Oh yeah, I think it is gone. I'm so it's okay. I I I know, it's one of those things that we're like I would have felt immense gratification for making that connection and now I uh, you know, the tip of the tongue, mm-hmm. right? But
0: so... anyway. I guess my curiosity is to sort of bring that to completion, so like what would what would healthy emotional processing have looked like for you?
1: yeah, that's a really important thing um, i really I really do think it's important to remember that there's two kinds of stress in life there's like acute stress well okay i'm not gonna I'm not gonna simplify things like that, <laughs> okay. But, like, there's – well, because I know a lot of a lot of material has been written about stress, but my experience is, like, it's really important to differentiate the things that you do in moments of crisis versus the things that you do as part of your normal operation. Sure. And I've been thinking a lot about how, like, I was living like I was in crisis when I should have been living in, like, I was in operation.
0: Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's like my my normal my normal day-to-day method of handling emotions was similar to calling 911 as far as like availing myself of the tools where everyone understands once in a while you say, "Hey, look, I'm in a real bind and I need you." Those people will be there for you because you know, you love them, you love each other. You care about each other. Yeah, they'll be there for you. But that's not, to say, that's not to say that you're allowed to just abuse that. You know, you're right. not supposed to just, oh, good, you can just pick up the slack for me in my life then. So I, uh, I think a lot about there was like a, a really unfortunate dynamic of like a learned helplessness. When somebody else starts doing your emotional labor for you, if it becomes too routine and there's no expectation of you to start picking up the slack for yourself i was astounded at how incompetent i became i actually started losing my ability and my confidence to handle my own things and uh yeah does that answer your question i'm sorry no that's that. so
0: you answered the question of like what looks what does something less healthy look like and i'm curious what healthy (laughs) looks like
1: i'm i am curious what healthy looks like too I think a lot of it is. That's fair. In my experience so far, healthy handling of emotions is knowing that no matter what the emotion is, there's a floor underneath mm-hmm. you. You know, you are, you are on the ground. And if you can be on the ground and carry a feeling in you, you always want to make yourself big enough emotionally to accept that you are grounded and that is another feeling that you have to make room for when it's reality. And every once in a while, we have a big enough feeling that the ground comes out from under us. And that's when it's time to get help.
0: Yeah, that's well said. So, well, thank you.
1: Like, learning, I think that a lot of a lot of healthy emotional processing comes from understanding how deeply rooted... Our emotions are grounded in, like, our heartbeats and our adrenaline glands. Our breath. And, like, you know, our our breathing, absolutely. Like, so much of our emotions, you know, we live in this evolutionary tangled-up mess where our brains are made out of slabs, you know? We have the parts nearest our spine that have to do with responding to immediate threats. And then you get more elaborate and elaborate and sophisticated behaviors and motivation And those two parts of the brain, or three or four, however many, those slabs of the brain have different priorities depending on whether you think something is an emergency or a creative opportunity. And even just doing the very rudimentary step of like taking a breath, calming down, and seeing something as a creative opportunity can massively change your interactions with people. Absolutely. But it comes It's very, it's very rudimentary skills. Um, I had an experience with my wife where I learned about what a role shame played in my life. Shame was a huge influence in the kind of, you know, shame was a huge influence in the kind of negative, negative reinforcement punishment that I got as a kid. And I realized that I'd started to develop really bad, um, Knee-jerk reactions whenever I thought somebody was trying to make me mm-hmm. feel shame, and it became the kind of thing where when I'd, I'd be interacting with my wife, I would take anything I perceived as criticism, as shaming, as a personal attack, mm-hmm. and I did not know I was doing this. I thought that I was because again, I'm I'm very oh I'm very erudite, intellectual, so I would go on these long rants about how wrong she was to think whatever it was she just said. But really, that was entirely emotional reasoning. But I never thought so. And then my therapist worked with me to identify what shame was and how big of an influence it was in my life. I did not have words Mm -hmm. for it. I did not have words for the way that I felt because it was old enough in my brain, if you know what I mean. Sure. And it would get to the point where, you know, my wife would say something and I would I would experience these really strong feelings of shame and I would say these, you know, these, I would have this like really strong reaction to what she said. And, you know, i would kind of assert myself and chase away the shame with anger. And then, you know, two days later, I'd be at work, recognize what happened. And I would text her and say the other day when I reacted that way, that was a shame response. And I'm really sorry that I did that. And then, you know, a week or two later, a similar thing would happen. But instead of taking two days, it would be like two hours. So I would like be in the other room on my own and I would walk into the room and be like, oh, my God, like that was a really strong shame response. And I'm so sorry that I did that. And then, you know, the next time it would happen, it would shorter every time. By the end of the argument, I could say, you know what? I, I am so sorry I did that. Let's go back to what you said. I'm not happy with how I reacted. I need some time, but I want to react differently to what you said. I'm so sorry. And I remember the last time it happened. I remember that she said something, and I felt triggered into my shame defensive response, and I felt the adrenaline coming out my stomach, and I felt my face like it, it really is mm-hmm. your body. It really is your your adrenaline. It is your body. I felt my breath. I felt my face go down. I felt the blood rush up into my face, like, you know, like blushing in embarrassment. And I looked up at her and said, like, I've just felt that shame response. I need a minute. And I didn't say anything horrible for once. And it was, you know, it's one of those things like they say, if you're feeling rage, you'll have a tell your body is going to tell you we're going into Mm -hmm. a rage. You'll feel your fists clench. You'll feel your chest puff up. You'll feel your your nostrils flare. Your eyeballs Mm -hmm. get big. And identifying those things has had a huge influence on my life and releasing me from being a slave to those like really basic responses.
0: Yeah. And those tells exist not just for rage, but for any emotions. It's just a question of listening to your body. Yes. And it's been very, it's been yeah, very powerful absolutely. for me to listen to my body and sort of understand what shame and sadness feel like, what anxiety feels like and to, and to take that brief pause, even if it's not like a mindful breathing space of five minutes or something, you know, even if it's just a pause of like 15 to 30 seconds before I dive into an activity of just being yeah. like, I'm going to, I'm going to just try, I'm just going to try and sit with this uncomfortable, uncomfortable experience Sometimes all you need is 30 seconds. Other times you get to the end of 30 seconds and you're like, fuck it, I'm going to go to a coping strategy. And ideally over time, as you were saying, you know, that time gets shorter and shorter. Um, And also, ideally, the coping strategy you go to isn't necessarily, you know, drugs or alcohol right away. (laughs) That you have some more functional coping (laughs) strategy lined up, you know, other than video games. But uh, yeah. But for me, it really is video games. That's sort of the unhealthy coping strategy that I go to. And it's not always unhealthy. Sometimes I game with people and it's the social community of being with other people that feels good. So it, it yeah. depends. It's tricky. Yeah. It's.
1: I think that that's where a lot of our false comforts trip mm-hmm. us up is we tell ourselves it's right, good right. for them. And the examples that I, I most readily think of are things like compulsive exercise mm-hmm or compulsive cleaning, or workaholism, mm-hmm. where you can say, hey, this gives me an edge at what I do. And it's like, yes, but you're going to die of a heart yeah. attack.
0: <laughs> like, Yeah, exactly. No, you're, you're right. That but, is like, me rationalizing it by saying, well, there are benefits of going and seeking comfort in community with other people, but hanging out with other people, there's a time and a place for that, and usually that's after you've processed it.
1: It's Yeah, it's all about the balance it's yeah. Or you I don't, process
0: it with people. As I, long as you're processing it in whatever way makes sense to you, it's obviously fine. But I guess all we're exactly, saying I guess all I'm saying, exactly. <laughs> not to speak for you, is just like you should probably feel your feelings and process your thoughts about them. That's basically the TLDR. That was all I was saying.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Good job, team. <laughs> should have said that ages ago, but uh someone should have
0: said that to me ages ago, yeah.
1: Oh, I know. Right. That's, that's what astounds me. I made a phone call home to my mom the other day and I was talking to her about how I was struggling with homework and getting so much grief off Mm -hmm. the teachers and they were shaming me and giving me such a hard time. And one of the things that I said to my mom, was like, why did, why did no one ever ask me what was wrong? Why didn't Mm -hmm. like, I, I would get, I would get shamed and yelled at at school And then I would have to take notes home to make sure that I got shamed and yelled at there. And it's astounding. It's astounding how long that can not
0: work. (laughs) Before someone tries something different. And yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. It's it's astounding how long people can just hold to these notions of what they should Mm -hmm. be doing with you.
0: Well, they didn't have the access to the same research and information we have now. If you get a chance, the, um, Uh, Dr. Rick Hansen and uh, Dr. Tina Bryson have these, like, four parenting books that they've written. Like, one of them's literally called The Power Mm -hmm. of Showing Up, and it's, it's literally just, like okay but did you show up for your kid like just show up for them like yes there are good ways to show up and bad ways to show up but the worst way to show up is to not show up so like did you show up (laughs) it's basically like it's it's like so much of it is like (laughs) just like show up and try not to be wildly abusive and you're already doing better than like (laughs) some percentage of
1: you are yeah yeah You are leaps and bounds ahead of the median baby boomer,
0: for sure. (laughs) Well, they have four too. They call it their like parenting quadrant. I've I've read all of them, and it's hilarious. They don't have kids, but having read all of them, I'm like going through it as a person who was traumatized as a child. I'm like, I know so much more about everything that parents and caretakers did wrong. (laughs) It's like really like my parents just needed to show up instead of forgetting me at like you know soccer practice. (laughs) <laughs> letting me like sit at the field, the last kid, like in the rain being like, are they, are they coming
1: back oh, before cell phones? Yeah. yeah. I I remember having to walk home across town, not knowing, not really knowing where I was having to walk across town after a T-ball game. And like, man, that's a, that's a hurtful stewing yeah. feeling. <laughs> oh my God.
0: Yeah. And then you get home and they're like, oh, right <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah when you were talking about that feeling of like fear when a vehicle gets in like i know that plummeting sense in your stomach and that deep sense of shiver yeah. that is just dread running through you of being like i need to be anywhere but here like i can literally go out the back door yeah. right now yeah. and that might be a good idea for me to just go out the back door wait till they go in the house and then leave the house and just go play with a friend or like do something different
1: yeah yep yeah. I remember my brother told me about how he would always like, cause my brother had a lot of friends and he'd be like, Hey, let's all go to my house. And he remembers when his friends all kind of had an intervention where they're like, your house is creepy. And we don't like going there cause your dad's so mean. Legit, <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> legit.
1: Yeah. It's like, we'll go to someone else's house. You're welcome to join us there, but we are not going to your
0: house. <laughs> we are setting like, a healthy boundary as our parents yeah. have instructed us to do.
1: Exactly.
0: Well, thank exactly. you so much. I really, William, I really appreciate your support today and conversations and such. It was it was a lot of fun. I mean, fun may not be the right word, but it was certainly like, was um, it, yeah, engaging, engaging. intriguing, <laughs>
1: possibly enlightening. Hope so. It was, it was good to talk to you. It was good to catch yeah. up with you,
0: too. Thanks for your time. Of course. Thanks so much for reaching out, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah. Hopefully we don't wait for a pandemic uh, next time, but... <laughs> not my choice yeah fair enough fair enough all right well thank you so much and have a great rest of your evening so how did you like it intimates discuss your ideas with the community at facebook.com forward slash intimate victor or tweet me at intimate victor or follow my instagram you guessed it at intimate victor If you can spare the cost of coffee to help the show keep going, head to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. We hugely appreciate your help to continue making intimate conversations for you and yours. If not, you can always help other intimacy nerds find the podcast by leaving us a review anywhere online, especially iTunes. Or you can just tell a friend. The opening music is on hold for you, made of algorithmically generated notes and chords, and played by an AI-rendered saxophonist. The closing music is Gymnopédie, number one, by Eric Satie, Both are provided royalty-free, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Thanks so much for your time, and may your most important relationships be filled with the intimate, rich interactions you crave. Be well.